Morning, church. Well, today we start something new. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. Many of us have questions about the future, like uh, what happens to us when we die? And I hope you all have sermon notes because there's a lot of scripture in there and some things I'd like you to do at home as far as homework as well. So, is the end of the world near? How many of you think that's true? Interesting. Uh, how do I know? Do I call a psychic hotline? Do I read my horoscope? Do I have my palm read? Hmm. Uh, when will aliens of a superior race finally make contact and straighten this whole mess out? Or how long until the zombie apocalypse starts? Okay. Some zombie fans here. All right. Well, here's one book that claims to have all the answers. A secret code in the Bible has finally been broken, and the consequences could be world-shattering. And in this bestseller, The Bible Code by Michael Drosnan, who was a Wall Street Journal reporter, uh, argues that the Bible clearly foretold events that happened thousands of years after it was written, the Holocaust, World War II, first man landing on the moon. See the evidence in this fascinating book and discover the future. Woohoo! Right? There's a lot of weird notions and ideas floating around out there. We've got uh, TV shows and radio talk shows and printed materials giving us a whole wide range of opinions and options. What is going to happen in the future? What does the future actually hold? But from my perspective, there's only one source of truth. What is it? The Bible. That's absolutely correct. The one source of truth is the Bible. It is God's word. It does not change. It does tell us what is and was and is to come. It's all contained in that book. All that we need to know about the future is contained in the word of God. Do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. So for the next weeks, I'd like to explore some uh, Bible teaching and prophecy about the future. And this new series is called, That's All Folks. Okay, can we try that again? Can we get the sound on that? Because, okay, okay, if, if the sound doesn't work, the s- that's all, folks. Oh, that was Corey. Sorry. It just, it just kind of stuck there. That was really good impersonation there, Corey. That was really good. So that's all, folks. We're talking about the end times and what's to come and the future. So hang on for the ride. I think this is going to be uh, kind of fun. So. Uh, using the Bible, I want us to answer some frequently asked questions that people have had that I've discovered over the years in ministry. Uh, what's ahead? What's ahead for me personally when I die? What's happening in the future according uh, to the Word of God? Now, we're going to do a little bit differently than we have done normally. I'm not going to stand there and preach and walk around. I'm going to sit here as much as I can, which won't be a lot, but uh, this is going to be more of a teaching format. So let me say this about that. I invite you to feel free to ask a relevant question at any time during the presentation. Now, what was the operative word that I just said? Relevant. What does relevant mean? It means directly pertaining to the matter at hand. Directly pertaining to the matter at hand. Because you may have an opinion or you feel like talking to the rest of us or whatever. Leave that for the trained professionals, please, up here. Right? Uh, just ask a question, right? Uh, if you have an opinion or you want clarification, ask me afterward, 
all right? But if you have a question about what's being presented that's not clear, please feel free to wave your hand. Now, if I can't see you because it's dark and sometimes I can't see so well in the dark, so uh, just wave your hand. Okay, everybody try that. Wave your hand at me, would you? Okay, a lot of questions out there, okay? We're going to try to answer some of those this morning. But I believe it's important that we understand what God says about this stuff, because if we don't, we're going to be making some really dumb decisions. And throughout this series, I'm going to give you examples that I've had in my own life of people who've made some really dumb decisions because they believe that Jesus was coming at a certain time and live their life accordingly. Uh, Yeah, you may not agree with everything I present, and that's cool. You have every right in America to be wrong, okay? Let's just get that clear right off the bat. Uh, actually, there's a wide variety of beliefs about the end times, about the future, even among Bible-believing, born-again, blood-bathed, baptized believers, and that's okay. It is okay, right? It is okay. However, we want to start on the same page. It's important that we begin the journey together, and you know me well enough that uh, I, I'm all about common language. We have to define words because words are powerful, and if we're going to build a successful structure, we need a solid foundation, and words become then that foundation. If we agree to their meaning, we'll have a better understanding of how they're used in the Bible and then applied to our lives and to what's going to happen in the future. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get going. If you have your sermon notes, and I strongly encourage you to use these. I think they'll be helpful, and you can kind of ponder them. So if you don't have them, anybody want sermon notes that doesn't have them? Yeah, so ushers, if you can just uh, distribute uh, uh, those to, if if you would like some sermon notes and don't have them, just kind of keep your hand up there, okay? So we are going to start by defining the word death. 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 Okay, now, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Why do we have to find death? Because in order to know what's going to happen to us when we die and what's going to happen in the future, uh, death becomes a beginning of sorts, all right? Now, Death, death. Think about death for a moment. Some of you are going to be extremely uncomfortable when I ask you to think about death. I get that. And I'll address that in just a moment. But what does the Word of God say? Uh, I love this passage out of Hebrews 2. Because God's children are made of flesh and blood, the Son, uh, who is the Son? Okay, from here forward, that's Jesus. Also became flesh and blood. Was Jesus human? Yes. Was he divine? 100% God, 100% man. Okay, we agree. For only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Now get this. Only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Who has the power of death? The enemy. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. There are people in this room right now that are living their lives in the bondage of the fear of dying. It's absolutely prevalent in our culture. Some of you right now are beginning to scorn because you're very uncomfortable talking about death. I understand that. I can appreciate that. But we have to anchor down on what the Word of God says, not how we feel. Okay? There are people in this room who are slaves to the enemy who has the power of death because of the fear of dying. Okay? Well, I got your attention. That's good. Now, here's what the wisest man in the world said. 
His name was Solomon, lived about 3,000 years ago. He said, better to spend your time at funerals than at parties, for you are going to die. Let's face reality. Every single person in this room is going to die. You are going to die. Today, tomorrow, the next day, makes no difference. You are going to die. What's the only way we can escape death? Physical death. If Jesus comes, right? Otherwise, every person in this room is going to die. And if you're around here, we're going to push your casket up here. We're going to say some lovely things about your life. Everybody's going to die. Okay, let's get a grasp on reality for a moment, shall we? You're going to die, and you should think about it while there's still time. A wise person thinks a lot about death. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. There's sometimes, even my own family, I get chastised because I'll plan my funeral. I'll, I'll talk about death quite freak, frequently and freely. Because we're all going to die. Some of us are ready and some of us are not. How much do you think about death? For many in this room, you don't think much about it because you're afraid of it. And it's very uncomfortable to think about it. Hmm. Hmm. So what do we do with this? Why is this? Because we live in a death-denying culture. We live in a death-denying culture. If people are dying in our lives in this day and age, which is only one or two generations, we put them into some kind of facility so we don't have to watch them die. Inch by inch, moment by moment, too painful. When the rest of human history, they're right there in the home dying in front of us, and death is a way of life. But we deny death. We try to avoid death. We try to look younger. I'll get surgery. I'll do this. I'll freeze my body. I'll do whatever I can so I can... I'm not going to die. Yes, you are. You are going to die. So what do we do with the aged? Let's ship them to some kind of facility where someone else can take care of them while they're dying so we don't have to be a part of it. I don't mean to be cruel when I say those kinds of things, but this is a relatively new phenomenon in other countries of the world in which I live. They have no such structure at all. The elderly are with you until they depart this life. I'm not saying put, putting people in a facility is wrong. Please, don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is in total, we live in a death-denying culture. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. I'm going to force you to think about it because that's what the Bible says. We having fun yet? Don't you love this new series? I can't wait to get into this. This is going to be so good. It's going to be good for us. Because it's a big, big reality check. Then we swing way to the other side. And we have the unrealistic portrait of death portrayed by Hollywood. Right? I'm going to blow your head up. I'm going to drive a hammer through it. I'm going to blow your body to smithereens. Hollywood will give you death until it's so sanitized. And like, ooh, wow, that was pretty cool. Right? When it comes to death in our own personal lives, we get squeamish. We watch it on the screen and all kinds of media, and yet we can't stomach it. Well, try it with someone you love, someone you desperately love, and you know what I'm talking about. It hurts to watch them dying. Right? Truth is, we're all dying. We're all dying. Have it made you uncomfortable yet? Some of you are going to laugh, you're going to giggle, you're going to get this, you're going to get that, because you don't want to confront it. You don't want to think about it. It's reality. 
It's reality. A wise person thinks a lot about death. Okay, good. Well, this is more fun than I thought it'd be. So let's define death. What does death mean? Again, common language. The event of dying or departure from life, the permanent end of all life functions in an organism, the end of life, a final state. Hmm. Now, coming from a medical background in the generations of doctors and continuing in the next generations of doctors in my family, the definition of death has changed. I love the days in the old westerns when they used to put the mirror up and see if they're still breathing. <laughs> they're, no, they're dead. They're dead. But the, the point is now it's a cessation of brain waves or however else we're going to find death medically or clinically has changed. It will continue to evolve because we really don't understand as much as we think we do about death from a medical perspective. And as you can see from these four definitions, which are rather clinical from dictionary, uh, death has several subtle meanings. And that's all well and good. But I want us to understand when I use the word death from this point forward, what does it mean? Because we're going to look in the Bible. How does the Bible define death? That's what's important to me. Right? Not how medicine defines it or how dictionary defines it. What does the Bible say about death? Okay. So if we look at death, the Bible uses it in several different ways. The first one is spiritual death. Spiritual death. Oh, I get to use a board. So fun. Yay. Okay. Spiritual death. What is spiritual? Whoa. Spiritual death. Spiritual death, very simply, is something that we've all encountered. And it is the spiritual separation of the sinner from God. The spiritual separation of the sinner from God. So we have to begin thinking, how does the Bible use the term death? So let's look at some verses that kind of help us understand this. Psalm 51.5, who wrote this? David. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Romans 3.23, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to who? You? The person next to you? Everyone that has been and shall be. For everyone sinned. And the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the wages of sin is death. Paul is not talking about physical death. That's pretty obvious. Everybody dies. So we see then when the Bible uses the term death, he is, we're talking about the spiritual separation of the sinner from God. Now, who is a sinner? For all have sinned, right, and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room a sinner? Everybody that's ever been born a sinner. Everybody that's not been born? Everybody that's, yeah, everybody's a sinner. Why? Thanks, Adam. Appreciate that. Yeah. But we're all born sinners. So we're, are we all spiritually dead? Yes or no? Yes. At some point... You were spiritually dead. Every person in this room at some point was spiritually dead, separated from God because of sin. Okay, tracking with me? Everyone, everyone, everyone is spiritually dead. That's what regeneration does. It brings to life the dead capacity within us to love God. He makes us new. 
Okay, so uh, we look at these verses and we see then, keep this in mind, the first way that the Bible uses is spiritual death. It's a spiritual separation of the sinner from God. Okay, any questions about this? Anybody with me so far? Okay, let's move on. What is physical death? When someone dies physically, what happens? Well, we would say that it's the temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit. It's the temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit. And if you're a trichotomist, you would say there's three parts to a human being, body, soul, and spirit. If you're by, then there's only two, physical and the spiritual. Okay? Makes no difference. It's a whole different conversation. But it's the temporary. Why I say it's a temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit? Why do I say temporary? It gets reunited. That's correct. When? When Jesus is coming? That's partly true. What about the unbeliever? Okay, stay tuned. More coming in the series. All right? So physical death is a temporary separation of the body from the soul and spirit. Jesus said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and he released his spirit. Where was Jesus' body? On the cross. Where was he? Uh, come back next week. Man, you've you got to be on your game next week because we're going to drill down deep. We're going to talk about what happened to Jesus at the moment of death. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? What happened in that moment? Okay? So, stay tuned. That'll be a fun one. All right. So, the second death then. This is the second death. Is the last way we're going to find this. To find this this morning. What is the second death? The second death, the Bible says, is the eternal separation of the sinner from God. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, in this series in, in Revelation chapter 20. It's an absolutely key passage of Scripture. Read it over and over again. Uh, I think it'll be helpful. But uh, I'm going to read for you Revelation 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne. Who's I? Who wrote the book? John who? The Apostle John. Okay, we'll take that. Where was he? He's on an island. On vacation? No, exile. Okay. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Uh, who do you see on the great white throne? Who was that? Jesus. Always the right answer itself, say. Thank you. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Oh, I love this picture. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I'm coming back to this. So just put this in for now, right? Just kind of lock it down. Every judgment in Scripture is according to deeds. Every judgment in Scripture is according to deeds. You're not going to be judged whether you know Jesus or not. And you pray this little prayer. It's like, Jesus, come into my heart. No, it doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm going to twist your brain. Uh, every judgment in Scripture is according to deeds. Is it important the way you live the Christian life? Mm -hmm. More on that when we talk about judgment. Okay. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their what? Deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown in the lake of fire. 
This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the Bible in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is the second death. Is this something we want to avoid, the second death? Yeah. Yeah, while you're still alive and breathing on the planet Earth, you can avoid this one. You're not going to avoid the first two, but you can't avoid the third one. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay? Here's some observations about death. Death is our enemy. Death is our enemy. Sometimes I hear Christians say at funeral situations, oh, it's the ultimate healing. Death is the ultimate healing. No, death is not the ultimate healing. Death is our enemy. God never intended for death to come into the world, and it wasn't until sin entered the world. It's not the ultimate healing. Death is our enemy. We go to 1 Corinthians 15, which is a teaching passage on the resurrection. A marvelous passage of Scripture to understand what's to come, by the way. 1 Corinthians 15. After that, the end will come when he, who's he? What's the right answer, Southside? Thank you. We'll turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Death is our enemy. Good news is death will be destroyed. We continue in 1 Corinthians 15. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Let me read that again. I was just looking at that yesterday when I was practicing this. When our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Boy, that really caught me. This scripture will be fulfilled. Huh. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. But, thank God, he gives us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death will be destroyed. Okay? Not a part of God's economy. Hebrews 2, we've already read. Only in this way could he set free all of us who have lived our lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Revelation 21, 4. Oh, isn't this comforting? He, who's he? Thank you, you're getting it. Will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more what? Or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that a passage of great hope? No more death. Huh. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Wow. All right, stay on track. Okay, death is a doorway. Death is a doorway. Here's what the Bible says. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Isn't that an interesting verse? Even though death is the enemy, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is it precious to God? Yeah, yeah, we, we are free and we become as he intended us to be. Exactly. I tell you the truth, who's I? Oh, you guys are good. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Paul wrote, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love that. 
<laughs> to live as Christ and to die as gain. We are confident, I say, Paul wrote, and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. We're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 5 in a future message. I say and would prefer to be away from the body at home with the Lord. That's where we get the phrase, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We'll come back to that concept. All right, death is the experience of everyone. Even those from the secular camp, there's a couple of them in here. Frederick the Great, who lived in the 18th century, King of Prussia, said, the finest day of life is that on which one quits it. Hmm. Henry Ward Beecher was actually a pastor, social reformer, abolitionist. He said, going out into life, that is dying. Hmm. Going out into life, that is dying. John Milton, author, poet, Maybe you've heard of Paradise Lost. He wrote, death is the great key that opens the palace of eternity. Like that. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, again, 19th century American poet. Maybe you've heard of the Song of Hiawatha or Paul Revere's Ride. He said, there is no death. What seems so is transition. <laughs> All right. So there's lots of questions about death and dying and what's ahead. Next week, we're going to look at questions like, can the dead be contacted? Should we? We're going to look at some interesting questions. Let's get a, a few practical ones out of the way. Are the dead present with us now? Can they see what we're doing? Well, that's a good question. And you know what? The Bible is relatively silent about this. And take special note when the scriptures are silent. They're silent for a reason. There's always a reason when the Bible doesn't speak directly to an issue. Don't fill in the silence with your own opinion or what you've heard or what you've read. If Scripture is silent on an issue, it's done intentionally by God. Now, there's great comfort that comes from the thought that our loved ones are still involved in our life, those who have gone before. And how often have I heard an athlete say or someone else say, it's just like, my mom was right there with me. It seems like she's there, and, and I can hear her, and I, her presence is, is there with me. And, and you know what? She just feels so close to me right now. She, she's still here with me. I know that. Or someone else that they've lost. And, and I get that. People in mourning. Now, this may bring some level of human consolation, but understand, Scripture nowhere, nowhere confirms or affirms even that idea that the dead can see us or involved in our lives. Rather, death is described in the Bible as a rest for the believer. I wonder, if I'm in heaven, uh, how restful would it be for me to see the turmoil and tragedy and uh, st other stuff of loved ones left behind? Would that be restful? <laughs> in a place where there's no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, just a thought. So what happens when we die? What does happen when we die? This will launch us into next week. They say that the only things for certain are death and taxes. Death and taxes, right? Let me just say this. Reincarnation taught by Hinduism is false. Continual rebirth taught by Buddhism is false. Period. We only die once that's what the bible teaches therefore that's what we believe each person is destined to die how many times once and after that comes judgment you're not recycled 
You're not reincarnated. We die once. Which death is that, by the way? Each person is destined to die once. In this list of definition of the word death, which one is that? Uh Uh-huh. That's correct. So we also have to put it in context. What is the author writing about? Which one of these? Spiritual death, physical death, the second death? Okay? These are Bible definitions, all right? Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Now, death terminates. Physical death terminates any opportunity to get right with God. I believe that. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about a place called Purgatory or Limbus Infantum or other things that are floating around out there on the edge, on the edges between heaven and hell, between that just seen and that which is unseen. What does the Bible say about those kinds of things? I'm not here to bash anybody, but I just want to know what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's what we're going to look at, okay? All right. Before I wrap this up, any questions? <laughs> yes, one brave soul. It's Kim Streisick. Yay! No, 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 no. Again, this is all good. It's all good. I'll try to be more gentle with you. Can we do this one, Jim? This will be helpful. <laughs> okay, let's hear from Mary Kerwin. Stepping up the plate, it's Mary. Mary. All right, good. What about the scripture in Corinthians about the great cloud of witnesses? Doesn't that imply that s- people can see on earth? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12 says it uh, in this passage. And again, I- if we look at the Bible, we always have to put it in context. Is that correct? Since we are then surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with endurance. What is the picture that's being painted there? About running the race. The point of that passage of Scripture is that you're in a stadium and you're running a race and there's a great crowd that is cheering you on. Some have implied by that that this is the idea that people can see what you're doing from heaven. The connection there is rather tenuous. That's my particular opinion because we put the passage in context. The point of the teaching there is perseverance and endurance in running the race. It's not a teaching passage about uh, the fact that the people that have gone before us can see us. So what we want to do when we handle the Bible is to look for a teaching passage on that topic, not an inference because inferences can get us in trouble. I completely accept that, and that is one thing that people will say, and I think it's a great question. Thank you, Kim, for answering that. In my understanding of Scripture, uh, if you look carefully at Hebrews chapter 12 and analyze that, the point that the author is making has nothing to do with teaching about whether people that have died can see us. 
He's talking about, man, you're running a race. There's a great mass of people that are cheering you on. And, in fact, in the previous chapter, 11, what is that called? The faith chapter lists all the people of great faith. In other words, they're our example. Keep your eyes on them. They persevered to the end. And many of them went to their grave for the faith. Run your race that way. Don't give up. Don't quit. So, excellent question. Don't know if I answered it, but that's my best shot. Okay, good. Stacy? Take a couple more of these and then we'll wrap up. I just have a question about number three, uh, mm-hmm. where we say second death is eternal separation from the kingdom of God. Right. What happened if someone would never knew of God? Would they be then to the lake of fire when they die or never? Okay. Who would like to answer Stacy's question? What about those who have never heard of Jesus? Wouldn't it seem unfair if God is truly loving and kind and just that he would put them in a lake of fire? What kind of God is that? What about those who've never heard? Oh. Oh. What was that, Adam? Because we're judged by our deeds. That is a part of the answer. I, I would agree with that completely. Now, John fourteen six says what? I am the way. No one comes to the Father but because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Is that correct? But what about those people who have never had the opportunity to hear? Deb, you want to take a shot at that? Okay. Uh, Romans one twenty three to yeah. my mind, which is probably or maybe part of it. Yes, absolutely. Good. Read that. <laughs> Very important. It says, For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, that is, his eternal power and divinity have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that he, or that has been made by him, his handiworks. So men are without excuse, all together, without any defense or justification. Wonderful. Thank you. That's a very important verse. Lock that one in. Romans 1, 18 to 20. Okay, Romans 1, 18 to 20. It's saying that God has revealed himself to every individual who's ever walked this earth. He has done it through creation. Right? Psalm 119. We can go to other passages of scripture that talk about through creation, God reveals who he is so that all men are without excuse. So I don't care if you are born in Irian Jaya or you're born in Thailand, or you're born in Canada, I don't care where you come from, you can see the handiwork of God simply by looking outside at the stars and saying, there's something bigger out there than me. And God has said, whoever searches for me with all your heart is going to find me. God will reveal himself to the searching heart so that come judgment day before the great white throne, we'll talk about that later, there will be no excuses. Because all of our judgment is based on what we've done. We either did it for God or we did it for some other reason. So there will be no excuses on that day. That is an excellent question. Good. Good. 
Okay, uh, we'll stop there. I just want to get your wheels turned, but every time I want to leave time for uh, your questions. If you've got one, send it into the office. I'd love to be able to answer those that you have, and I know some of you aren't comfortable raising your hand and asking. That's cool, but if you've got one, and, and just ask. I'd, lo- I'd love to know that, but I'm saying that death terminates any opportunity to get right with God. The question that I have for you, are you right with God? Are you right with God? Are you right with God? And I would phrase it to you like this. Jerry? Jerry, have you come to a place? Uh, yeah. I'm going to get red. Okay, he's starting to sweat already. Okay, this is Jerry. I don't mean to call him out, but I am. Jerry, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? Okay, I think this is important, okay? Jerry, are you uncomfortable with me asking you this? Are you okay? Okay, do you want me to stop or proceed? I'm good without the mic. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I can talk loud. Yeah, because my desire is that everyone knows Jesus. Uncomfortable or not, I want to make sure we all know Jesus we all end up in the right place okay and so when I ask you that I ask you that because that question was asked to me and I gave the same answer I don't know where were you at though in your life in your relationship yeah I was in my 20s with a family already so I get that let me ask you a second follow up question suppose you were to die and we're all going to die right we're all going to die You'd be taken up the presence of God, and he would look at you and say, Jerry, why should I let you into heaven? What answer would you give? You don't know. That's a great answer. You see? Because that's an honest answer. That is a very honest. I don't know what I'd say to God. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That is a great, great thank you, Jerry, for your honesty. I mean that completely. Because he's not alone in this room. He's not alone. There are others here who are not certain what answer they would give to God. But yet the scriptures say that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. These things I write to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. He, he's not playing with us. It's not a hope so, maybe, kind of. Maybe from good enough kind of thing, right? He wants us to know. So how do you know that you're going to heaven? How do you know that? Okay, but that's too spiritual for me. Don't talk to me about blood being shed. I like the idea, though. I like the idea where you're going with this because we're not trusting in ourselves to get us to heaven by what we do, correct? We're trusting in whom? How do you trust in Jesus? I can say, okay, I can have you come right here and you're going to kneel down, you're going to pray a prayer and say, Jesus, come into my heart. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But there's more to it than that, right? How do you trust in Jesus? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you trust in Jesus? Adam? 
Test him. See if it works. Take it for a test drive. That's an interesting concept. I kind of like that one. I do. Because you know what? We're all trying other stuff to bring our lives together, to bring meaning and purpose in our life. We're all trying something. I don't care if it's drugs, alcohol, sex, career. I don't care what it is. We're all trying something, right? Try Jesus. Watch what he can do. Who had a hand up? Yeah. Repent and believe the gospel. Thank you, John. That's good, right? So in other words, we have to believe. What do we have to believe? Because the devil believes in Jesus. Is the devil going to be in heaven? No. So what do we have to believe? Yes, that we are spiritually separated from God. That the only bridge back to God is not anything we can do but Christ alone. And the only way to get there is by dying to myself and surrendering to him. I don't have to work for it. I have to earn it. I have to do anything. I just have to, by faith, right, believe he did it for me. Not that he did it. Because the devil believes he did it. He watched him do it. But he did it for me. Have you made that decision? Do you know for certain? Because we're all going to die. But death is a doorway to freedom. Not something to be feared. There's a part of me that I can't wait to die. Not the process. But what's beyond it. If you're not certain, there's a group of guys up here right after the service that would love to talk to you about how you can know that you know. Okay? Don't let this thing just kind of hang out there. God wants you to know. Settle the issue. Are you right with God? Do you know that you know this wonderful Jesus? Fair enough? What time is it? Oh, not bad. Yeah, let's do that closing song, shall we? Would you bow with me? And we're going to pray. And uh, again, I want to encourage you, if you're not certain, or if you're just caught in bondage of the fear of death and dying, Jesus wants to set you free and give you hope that there's something beyond this existence. Oh, man. Isn't that good news? That's great news. It's a gift he offers to every one of us by what he did for us on the cross. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful. So grateful for your love and faithfulness to us. I'm grateful for the conciseness of your word and how powerful it is and how at one point it cut through into my heart. 
and made Jesus very real to me. And Lord, I'm asking for those who are here this morning who uh, perhaps are struggling and, and wrestling with you right now. In the heart is some doubt and fear, maybe some confusion. Maybe there's this tug that I need to do something right now. I'm not quite sure what to do. But I want to know this Jesus. I, I, I want to be freed from the fear of dying. I want the gift of eternal life that Jesus provided for me by what he did on the cross and being raised again as the only offering acceptable to God. Thank you, Lord. I believe you're drawing people, drawing people to yourself. And for those of us who have this hope within us, might we be moved to share it with others with passion as you give opportunity. You're coming, Lord. You're coming. And it's my desperate plea that everyone that's seated in this room right now will be ready for your coming, whether we meet you through physical death or your return. God, I pray that as you construct for us a home in heaven, that every person in this room has their name written in your book of life. We surrender to you now, Lord. Have your way with us. And in fact, beyond that, might we celebrate the fact that you are risen, that death is conquered, it's lost its sting, it has no hold for the people of Jesus. And we rejoice that our home is in heaven, not this world. And our eyes look forward to the heavens saying, come Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I'm more than ready. And I know you've got work for me to do today. Until that glorious day. And for those of us who have loved ones who have gone before us, who are waiting there. What a day of reunion that's going to be when we see them face to face again. <laughs> no more sorrow. No more pain. No more death. You have conquered. You are victorious. And we praise your name for that. Thank you, Lord, for stirring our hearts this morning. Speak to us and help us to respond accordingly. In Jesus' name. And together all God's people stood and said, Amen. Amen.